Amen. I love the presence of the Lord that's in this place right now. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I love it too. <laughs> Amen. I love it too. If you'll join me, we are going to look today in the second book of Kings, the third chapter. I will be reading first out of the English Standard Version. So if you have another translation or something other than the English Standard Version, if you're in 2 Kings 3, verse 16, you're in the right place. The words may be a little bit different, but follow along with me as we read just three verses of Scripture. Beginning here in verse 16 of 2 Kings 3, And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water. I like the way the English Standard Version says it. It's a little bit different, but he said, You shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed that stream bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, and stop up all springs of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Amen. I love these few verses because we start here with Israel being limited. We're at a place where they're not confident they would even be able to survive the place that they were in. And not only did God speak to them and say, this situation is going to change and you will survive, but when this transpires and you're able to be revived, you will then go on the offense and you will take cities that seem impossible right now. They're fortified their choice, their guarded, everything seems to be out of reach for you. But once I restore and revive you, there will be no challenge in front of you that I will not be able to give you the strength, the power, and the wherewithal to conquer. I want to preach to you for a little while today from this thought, in the absence of evidence in the absence of evidence. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. How many knows that uh, here in Colorado, we do have, at least in the summer, we have frequent storms that, that blow through here. Let me see your hands if you, if you live in this uh, state. <laughs> you know that we have, from time to time, wind and rain that seems to just uh, show up out of nowhere and we're caught in the middle of it. 
It's there for just a short while and then uh, gone. We know this. I, I landed a week ago Friday in probably one of the top three uh, most turbulent, interesting flights that I've ever been on in my 35 years of travel and previous to that traveling with, with my family. But out of all of these years, I've been on a few interesting flights and uh, Friday a week ago was one of those flights. It's one of the top three. And I, I could share with you the details of, of the other two, but I'll just focus on this one for, for a moment. There was a storm that, that was coming through um, about the same time that we were scheduled to land. And it had been turbulent all the way across from the, the East Coast, but the closer we got here, the more turbulent it became, and the flight attendants were asked to sit down. People were, it, it, was, it was really eerily quiet on, on the flight. Now, I'm so thankful that my wife was not on that flight with me because either she would have died and gone on to heaven at that moment, or everybody on the plane would have been prayed through to the Holy Ghost because she would have been pleading the blood and speaking in tongues and everything. And so, so I, was, uh, I was taking pictures actually out, out the window and um, it, was, it, was quite, it was quite interesting. The, the young man that was sitting right beside me, uh, I could tell he was a little bit uh, concerned and his sister was just on the other side of him. I think they were probably... Uh, late teens, maybe 20 or so, and, and I asked him in the middle of everybody just quiet and stressed and worried, I said, you fly often? <laughs> and he said, uh, no, sir, the last time that we flew was about uh, five, four or five years ago. He said, I think it was 2015. I said, oh, where are you guys from? I'm trying to ease this because I could tell that a heart attack was coming on, and I said, um, where, where, do you got, where do you guys live? And he said, oh, we live in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I said, oh, man, I lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so we started a conversation for a few moments as I was trying to calm them down. I said, you know, this isn't, this isn't ordinary. This is kind of out of the ordinary. We're going to be okay. And, and I'm taking pictures, and he's holding on. And it, it was one of those interesting, interesting uh, moments. And uh, we landed. Everything was good. I have a friend that I grew up with, and we went to high school together and we've remained friends through the many years. He, he uh, messaged me because he's a pilot. He's been flying since we uh, were in high school and he has flown commercially. He's flown corporately. He currently flies for Amazon and so when uh, they have a number of planes in their fleet and he, he flies for them now. And so he, he texted me and he sent me the uh, picture from his uh, screen, the radar that they see as pilots. And he just sent me a picture and he said, this is what you were landing in. And, uh, and, and it was nothing but there were planes all over the screen and circles and people. It, it was amazing. And he said, you landed right in this thunderstorm and, and it was over the airport. All, everything was right there. He said, that's what you landed in. And we chuckled back and forth and I sent him. I said, oh man, I was, he said, what, what was it like? And I said, well, I was taking pictures. Everybody else was repenting. And he said, he started laughing and he said, well, I guess that's the advantage of living a 
repentant life. And I said, yeah, it is. And so if you're ready to go and it's your time to go, you know, you're just that many thousand feet closer to where you're headed anyway. So uh, we, we, we laughed back and forth and, uh, and had a, an interesting conversation there. And he sent me a, uh, a video on the phone and he said, this was a week ago in uh, Tennessee on the, the uh, windshield of the plane. He's, and and there was, it was like a light show, really, that was happening on the windshield of, of the plane. He said, this was last week flying over Tennessee. He said, often in those kind of storms, you'll see these things, and it's called St. Elmo's Fire, where it literally looks like the windshield of the plane has, is lit up in, in the current there and all. And so we talked back and forth. But that was, that was last week, and uh, we landed in it, and all's good and we're safe and thank God for that. But when I, when I got home, I noticed on, on the door, within a day or so, there were all of these uh, little door hangers that had to do with uh, insurance and roofs and your neighbor suggested and this was going on. I was like, man, I'm missing all of the fun, all, all of these storms. Colorado is a place where many insurance adjusters... Uh, Frequent. They have frequent stops here. We've replaced our roof a time or two. All of our cars have been damaged and, and we've had work done. How many knows what I'm talking about? You, this, this is where we are. But you, you can. I found it interesting when we first moved here that if you look in a distance toward the west, sometimes you can see these things coming. The, the, the clouds begin to gather and the wind starts picking up and it looks like a dark funnel, if you will, and, and, and you know that uh, a storm is headed your way. And with that storm, there will be rain. With that storm, there will be snow. With that storm, there will be hell. With that storm, something is going to happen and you can see it as it approaches. And there are so many different directions that I could go with the message today, but I feel like I have a clear and certain objective to accomplish that God has laid on my heart. Earlier in the text that we read just a few moments ago, you find that Israel is in a dilemma, and it's leading them to a place where they, they needed desperately for God to intervene. They needed divine intervention for them. Here's what happened. Verse 5 said that Ahab died. And when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So Moab had been put in its place as long as Ahab was in charge. When Ahab passed away, Moab began to rise up and say, we're not going to fulfill the responsibilities that we had to Ahab now that there is another king. We're not going to continue to do this. And I found that on the hills oftentimes of change, especially in leadership or oversight and, and even in authority, there will always be an uprising because what one leader or one person of authority seem to have in control, the next person steps in and they're going to have to establish their own authority. And that's what we're seeing here that Moab rises up and they're going to test now Israel to say, are you going to put us in this place and this is continuing 
or are things going to change? They'll test to see if you're willing to uphold that same type of authority. And this is what's going on. And so this comes to Israel in the form of the Moabites saying, we're no longer going to do what we were obligated to do. And so in verse 9, it says, So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So Israel comes under attack from Moab and Israel realizes we can't handle this on our own and so they enlist the help of Judah and Edom to come along with them and try to reestablish control and they the Bible said they go on this journey after Moab and they spend about seven days traveling these three armies, all of their livestock, everything that they had, they're going to find Moab to put them back in their place. And after seven days of pursuing, there was no water, the Bible said, for the army or for the animals that followed them. So they're seven days into this and they realize we have no water and we cannot continue on. Our animals will not survive. The people that are following us will not survive and we will not survive. And so in the attempt to right the wrongs and bring back control, here's this desperation that sets in. Now I'm going to go through this, so stay, stay with me for a few moments. Every time you and I step out by faith to try and reestablish what has been taken from us, don't be surprised if there quickly, if there isn't a moment of desperation. So we say, I'm going to do this, I've enlisted this help, everything's going to work out right. And as soon as you start making that move, don't be surprised if desperation doesn't set in because that's exactly what happened for them. We have three armies. We're going to get this one group under control. They pursue their journeying for seven days and then all of a sudden there's no water to continue and they're in a place of desperation. How many knows that's the truth? Desperate times can come on us quickly. And most of the time... Those desperate moments come when we're trying to take our most aggressive steps of faith. Don't think it's strange. It, it, it isn't out of the ordinary. So there was no water, and without this life source, pressing on for them would have proven impossible. They could not go on without water. They needed this water to continue their journey. And see, there will always be, in moments of desperation, a need for some type of outside help. They could not go on without being sustained. Not only can we not go uh, at the challenges of life alone, he needed, the Israel needed Judah and they needed Edom to go with them. They could not pursue Moab on their own. Not only do we need other armies, look at your neighbor and say other armies. Come on, if you're going at life alone, you're doing it the wrong way. 
You need people to join with you in your pursuits. You need people that will be with you. The Bible tells us to be careful, to be warned, to be known, if you will, have a knowledge that if you're going alone, you're by yourself, you're not going to survive. It's much better to have two than to have one because when the one falls, the other can pick them up. That's not me, that's the Bible. The Bible tells us don't try to do this alone. And so, not only do we need other armies, but we cannot survive our struggles without heaven's help. So not only did they need the armies when they began, but once they were on their journey and desperation set in, they needed heaven's help now. So we don't just need others, we also need Him. Amen. I don't just need armies to come alongside me. I need somebody that can cause a river to flow when everything in my life is dried up. When everything is, 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 seems like it's over, I need divine intervention on my behalf. And so verse 11, we jump down, says, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? He said, okay, we're desperate. There's no water. We need to find the man of God. Is there no prophet of the Lord through whom we may acquire? Then one of the kings of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, hey, there's a guy here by the name of Elisha. He, he's interesting. Not only is he interesting, he's kind of unique and special. Because he was the guy that poured water on the hands of Elijah. They said, Elisha's here, and that's the guy that followed Elijah and poured water on his hands. In other words, served him, followed him, and he's around. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. <laughs> he said, if he, if he followed Elijah and if he poured water on his hands, if he invested that way, then the word of the Lord is with that man. And so the Bible said that uh, Jeho- the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, the situation had not changed. They were still in lack, desperation. They needed water. But somebody said, a servant said, Elisha's close by. And so Jehoshaphat convinces his cohorts to go with him and let's get to this man because the word of the Lord is with him. And I want to emphasize those few verses, if I can, for a moment here. When you're in a place of desperation, the very first thing you need is somebody in your life who can hear from God. Jehoshaphat said, 
Is there a prophet that can inquire, we can inquire of the Lord through? Is there somebody around here that can touch him and he can touch them and we can find out what we need to do next? Don't try to go at life alone. Get people around you. When you get to a place where you realize people can't change the situation, only God can change the situation, then start looking for somebody who can tell you what that God is saying to bring change into the situation. And so somebody first had to hear from God. The second thing that I see here is somebody, it had to be somebody who is connected or was connected to what they needed. We need to find people who is connected to what we need. All right? So if you're, if you're, if you're in a place of desperation, the last person you want to ask for advice is people who had never, who've never been in a place of desperation. Who have no clue of what you're going through. Have no idea what's happening in your situation or in your life. Find someone who has a connection to what you need. What they needed at that moment was not a greater army. They did not need more people. It's not, I've got to have more friends. I've got to do more adventures. I've got, no, no. Sometimes we need somebody who can represent Him in our situation and begin to speak things to us that will bring change and not just cause us to uh, go on where we are. So somebody who is connected to what we need and has sacrificed it for a greater return. Now here's, I love this verse because it, the, the phrase here could have easily been left out, but it wasn't. And I believe it wasn't for a specific reason. What they needed was water. So they had to get in connection with someone who was familiar with water. And so they said, it's Elisha. He poured water on the hands. Here is a guy that took what you need and poured it out. Didn't drink it, didn't consume it, didn't take it for his own benefit, but he took it and poured it on the hands of the man of God in his life. And as a result of what he sacrificed, there would be no doubt a return coming. And so he's got a return coming in his life. We need water. Let's get on his side and hear what God has to say because the very thing we need, he's connected with. And not only is he connected with it, He has sacrificed it for something that is even greater. I love these few verses. It goes on to say somebody, this is is what Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. We need somebody with the word that matters. So we need somebody that can hear from God. We need somebody who's connected to what we need and has sacrificed it for a greater return. And we need somebody with the only word that matters in our life. A lot of people tell us a lot of different things. And in all honesty, many of the things that we hear and advice that we receive, it isn't going to change my situation at all. I hear a lot of stuff, but it isn't going to turn this thing around. 
God, let me be connected with somebody who will reveal the Word, the only Word that matters in this situation. They didn't need to know things are happening at home. They didn't need to know the sun will shine another day. They didn't need to know, just hold on, it's going to get better. They needed somebody who could speak a specific Word into their situation. And that Word was the only Word that would matter. It was the only Word that would matter for them. The stream bed was dry and they needed a river to begin to flow there. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse number 1, this this verse, I'm sure many and most could quote it today. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Amen. The evidence of things not seen. In the absence of evidence, all right, I want you to hear me now. You have to see that faith can make up the difference. So, so one of the highlighted verses of Scripture and a staple uh, in the life of people who are succeeding in Christianity are those who understand that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It often uh, falls short in our understanding. We really do not understand this verse like we should. And I pray today that God help us to walk out of this place with a brand new revelation of the power that we have in faith. When you're standing at a dry riverbed and you do not know how you're going to make it and you've enlisted friends and done everything. You're on that pursuit because you believed it was the right thing to do. To regain control, to get authority back, to to do whatever it was you were called to do. And now you're desperate. Can I tell you, don't give up and don't overlook and don't negate faith. Because when nothing else can change the situation, faith can. When nothing else can turn it around, faith can. And when you're looking at it and you can't see any possible way through, faith becomes that uh, uh, deciding factor. Amen. Amen. And so if we realize somehow the massive privilege afforded us, we would most certainly start utilizing this game changer called faith. Look at your neighbor and say, faith. I'm not sure if you if you know the song or you remember the song, but when I grew up, they used to sing this song. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot, just use what you got. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. Complicated songs, hard songs. Difficult songs like the praise team sang today. I'm like always like two words off, three. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes with our new songs, I feel like I... (laughs) My wife and I went to a funeral at a Catholic church. (laughs) That's just kind of out of our element. (laughs) Uh, Family in our church, I think it was a father passed away and they were Catholic and so... They asked us to go, and we went. I, I'd been before. I went, I went young with a, a neighbor of mine that was, I think, being christened or something like that. And so I went one time, like years before. And so we go to this Catholic church, and it's a funeral. 
and we're kind of setting toward the back, and, and they give us a program, and uh, we're, we're trying to figure out what to say, who to repeat, when to stand, what to kneel down. Um, someone walked down the center aisle with a, a sensor, and like smoke was coming out, and my wife started... <coughs> And I'm like, doing this. No, that's you're not supposed to be coughing right now. This is reverent. This is like worship. No, and she's, <coughs> I'm saying, stop. And we're at a funeral, and we're trying to keep it all together. But we have no clue what's going on. And, and so I'm trying to read Latin or whatever and stay a verse or two. And I'm like way off, and she's poking me, saying, don't sing. You're, you're, you're not saying it right. I'm saying, I'm trying to be involved here. I just want. And then in a little while, you know, communion's going on. And she's like, what are they doing? up there. I said, they're taking communion. And she said, they're all drinking out of the same glass. I said, yeah, you want to go up there? And she said, no, I'm not going up there right now. And you know, anybody know what I'm talking about? So when people come to an apostolic church and they're like, I don't understand anything. Now you know how we feel when you visit, when we visit where you've been. We don't know when to stand, when to kneel, when to amen, when to clap, who to high five, when not to cough, sneeze, shake hands. We, we're really not sure with all of this. We don't know. And sometimes life gets that way. We just kind of get out of sorts and we're, we're really not sure how to get it all back together. And, and, and here, is, here is the thing that I want to tell you. When everything is upside down, there's one thing that can cause it to come back together, and that's faith. And if you try to live your life without it, you'll always be in that place of not knowing when to stand up, when to sit down, and when to declare, and when to surrender, and when to give it, and when to be bold, and when to... God help us to understand. We have been afforded a great privilege, and it is called faith. It's a game changer. It's an eternity changer. It's a circumstance changer. It's whatever you're going through changer. Faith can change it all. Faith has the potential to put the out of sort things in our lives into proper perspective. You're standing at a dry riverbed saying it's never going to happen, but faith says you have a God that's able to change the situation even when it looks impossible. See how we how we view the circumstances of life can literally provide potential victory for us or sure defeat. How am I looking at this? What is my perspective? The Bible said in 2 Kings 3.16, and He said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. We, we need a prophet. We need someone to hear from God. Okay, He's here and this is what He's saying. You're looking at a dry, impossible stream bed. But God said to tell you, I'm going to make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, ye shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water. Amen. What looked impossible was only a small thing for the Lord. Amen. And how, how, how do you get a dry stream bed to flow with water again? God. God, God, He said, you will not see wind, 
and you will not see rain. I need to say this because this is what's been on my heart recently for this congregation and those that are sitting here right now. You've been looking for a sign. And he said, you're not going to see wind and you're not going to see rain. But that stream bed is going to have pools in it. Water is going to flow there. Some of us are just sitting back saying, as soon as I can just catch a break, as soon as I can just get a word of confirmation, as soon as I can just see something that will turn this whole thing, if I can just see it coming over the mountains, if I can just feel a little bit of the wind, if I just feel a, a drop of rain, then I know, whoo, it's working now. He said, you're not seeing any of it. So how do you stand and trust God when He's showing you no evidence that it's going to change? The only thing you can do, David, is hold on to faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you can't see rain, you can hold on to faith. When you can't see wind, you can hold on to faith. When it looks like it's over for you, your faith will fill in the gap there. And in the absence of evidence, there is faith. Hallelujah. In the absence of it's about to change for you, faith says don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw the towel in. Don't hang it up. God's about to turn it. God's about to show up. God's about to come through. Faith. 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 This is what the Scripture says about it. When He comes looking, the thing He will look for is faith. Well, He's going to look and see... How faithful I was. He's going to look and see how consistent I was. He's going to look and see. And we have all these measurements. The Bible said he's looking for faith. Is there any faith left? Is there any faith? When, when, when Simon Peter's being tested, Jesus said, Hey, Simon, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. Come on, God help us to understand just how massive this principle and this truth is that if you're standing today facing a dry riverbed, faith can be the very element that turns it all around. When you don't see the break in your family, when you don't see the potential on your job, when you don't think the doctor's going to come back with a different report, faith says, I'm not looking at all of that. My perspective is God is able. When there is no evidence in your life, God steps in and causes the river to begin to flow again. Hallelujah. Come on, don't leave faith out of the equation. Don't leave faith out of the equation. No wind, no rain, yet water. Hallelujah. How does that happen? Faith. Come on. But he said, there will not be one ounce of evidence. There will not be one ounce of evidence. But faith is the source of your answer right now. You may be sitting here saying, Pastor, I don't have it. It's just getting harder and harder and it's been more challenging and I don't see anything changing. I'm preaching to you out of a burdened heart that faith can turn it around for you. Faith can cause you to walk out of here feeling lifted and not depressed. Faith can cause you 
to walk out of here with confidence again saying, I haven't seen the break yet, but as long as He's in control, I don't need any evidence because He's the one that can cause the river to begin to flow in a dried up stream bed. And somebody shout, Amen. Come on, it doesn't matter what's stopping you. What matters is you know the one who can change what's stopping you. Quit worrying about your situation so much and get your mind on the one that can change the situation. Quit fretting and frustrating yourself over this problem, this issue, this riverbed, this army can't go on, this responsibility, and get your perspective on Him and know that He can take care of it. Amen. My my perspective has to be altered this morning to reveal that God is bigger and God is greater than my circumstances. Somebody shout amen. Amen. And this is, this is the amazing thing. The Bible declares, this is just an easy thing for God. He said, this is just a light thing. This, this doesn't even cause Him to break a sweat. And we're fretting and frustrated and at our wits end, in the absence of evidence, there's faith. Get it in your spirit right now. God knows what you are facing. And faith can literally cause your perspective of that situation to change. I've said it, and I just said it a few weeks ago, but I'm coming back to it again, saying it again today. When your perspective changes and it becomes a perspective of faith, you start seeing God, the answer, bigger than your problem. If your problem is still bigger than the answer, your perspective is wrong. You have to look at this again and say, it's bad, it's challenging, it's difficult, I'm not sure where to go, but I know one thing, He can handle it. He can fix it. He can work it. So God, let my faith begin to rise today. Let my faith begin to mount today. Let my faith begin to build today. And I'll walk out of here knowing that you have it all under control. And it will not be very long. And that water is going to begin to flow again. It'll start running in this dry riverbed that's so so parched with the sun that I'm stressing over making it another day. He's saying, you're not just going to make it another day. But when I revive you... I'm giving you such authority and power that you're going to take down fortified cities and you're going to take down things that seemed impossible and you're going to capture and regain everything that was beyond your reach. See, that's the way God works. He doesn't just want us to get through the now. He wants to set us up for our victories tomorrow. Some of us get so... locked into this, I just got to get through today, I just got to get through today. And I understand that way of living. Because I'm there sometimes. But I have to be reminded that God doesn't want to just get me through today. He wants to set me up for the next victory. He wants to set me up for the next conquest. He wants to set me up for what He is doing Next, he said, you're looking at these cities and you're looking at all this stuff thinking that's impossible, that's impossible. But when I revive you today, you're going to take everything that was out of your reach and you'll be back in authority and control and I will get the glory out of the situation. 
so think about it. God doesn't want to just bless you today. He's setting you up for next month and next season and the next opportunity that how do you know from now to the end of the year, the next six months or so, that before the end of the year rolls around, you would literally be in a completely different level in your faith and a complete different level in your walk with God. I preach this because in my mind as a pastor, I feel and I know and I press toward it that when God gets ready to do it. This building will not hold the people that He will draw into this place. So, so whether, whether everybody's here or a few people are here, I don't look at empty chairs and say, oh, we're not getting anything done. I look at a God that says, you don't have enough chairs in this building for the amount of people that I can put in this house. We have to start seeing that our God is bigger. He's bigger than any situation. And if we give up, how do you keep going? How do you keep preaching? How do you keep saying faith, faith, faith? in a God that's bigger than my situation, the answer, hallelujah, in everything that I face, God can do it. God can do it. I said God can do it. God can do it. When I was a boy, I saw my father take a church that was the first pastorate for him. And there were 20 some odd people in the church. He relocated our family from Houston, Texas to Dayton, Ohio. That's across the country, folks. Y'all didn't know that, I'm telling you. That's across the country. He he relocated our family from Houston. My grandparents on my father's side was just, just across the line there in Louisiana. And my mother... Her, her family was right there outside of Houston in Cleveland. We were close to family. My dad took a church in Dayton, Ohio that was states away. Those days, there, there wasn't, it, it was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, we still, I think it was smoke signals. I think that's how you communicated then. Um, <laughs> For real, this is no, this is for real, this is for real. Our, well, this is the way we communicated. We get 10 cans and put a string, tie knot. Does anybody know where I'm going with this? Walkie talkies and stuff like that. And I mean, string in a tin can and run it through the house to somebody else with a tin can. You'd try to stretch it as tight as you could and talk through the can. And that, that's literally where we, that's what it seemed like. We never saw our family. I never saw my grandparents. My my parents never saw their parents. We didn't travel there multiple times during the year. I can only remember going to my grandparents' house, both sides. I could probably count on one hand visiting both sides ever. And we had a thriving church of 20. And my dad walked away from a corporate job. He's on the fast track to New York City. That's where he was headed. But God said, somewhere else. And I watched as my mother and father 
began to labor. We lived in, a, in an apartment. I have vivid memories of, of this. There was a pear tree out behind it, and I'd climb the pear tree and pick pears, and my parents started laboring to build a church. And it wasn't long things started breaking. Right across the street, there was a young teenage girl that started coming to church because my sister, who's a little bit older than me, my sister and two girls in the church, two young girls in the church, we didn't have any youth. We had 20 people. I was still young, and my sister was a little bit older, and so they wanted a youth group. So my mother started a youth group and started having youth service on Friday night with my sister and two girls. That's all they had, three, three teenagers. And they played and sang and had church and prayed. And right across the, right across the street, there was a, a lady. Her name's Penny. Penny started coming to youth. And before long, Penny invited a friend. And my mother and those girls started inviting other friends in the neighborhood. And the church started growing. The youth started growing. And in a matter of just a short few months, they went from three teenagers to more than a hundred teenagers with most of their parents not in the church. Most of them coming by themselves. Okay? I want you to see that I've been down this road and I've seen God work miracles. And so when you say, well, I just don't know about it. Live however you want to live. Camp out by your dry stream beds from here on out. But I'm going to say faith can start turning things around. Faith can cause revival to start breaking. We're, now, some of you will remember this. This is all the way back to, uh, you remember the cross and the switchblade. You remember some of the gang violence and stuff that was going on in New York City. My mother and dad, this is in the early 70s. They rented a Greyhound bus and they filled the bus with all of those teenagers. And I remember going to New York City and having street services on the streets of New York in the middle of gang-ridden violence. And here are kids without their parents in the church serving God. And the church literally exploded in revival. And we stayed there a number of years. And then my father transitioned back to Houston and took a church there. But here we are today. And I have to share this with you. That church is still in existence in Ohio. It's growing and has hundreds of people in it. And the pastor there right now, the pastor is a friend of mine. I preached there not many years ago. His wife, her mother's Penny. His mother-in-law was the first teenage girl that my mother and father reached when revival broke out. We have no, Here's what I'm telling you. God doesn't want to just get you through right now. He's setting something up for tomorrow that you can't even begin to see, that you can't even begin to wrap your brain around. How do you reach one teenage girl and 50 years later, 45 years later, the daughter of that one girl and her husband are pastoring that same church. God has a plan that's much bigger than what we can even begin to believe. And in the absence 
of evidence, there's God. Hallelujah. And I say don't give up. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your health. Don't give up on your career. Don't give up on your breakthrough because faith can turn it around. It can move the mountain. It can change the situation. And faith is the one thing that will keep you when everything else falls down around you. Let's stand together. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise.